0: Father, I want to, um, first of all, before anything else, I want to lift up Rosie and Brian and their daughter Mandy, who is, uh, who has uh, MS, which is accelerating and is becoming, well is, I don't even have the words Lord, so you know, and I want to lift them all up to you Lord, Mandy, for the strength to get through whatever it is that she is going to have to go through and Brian and Rosie as her parents that they might really know your peace and your strength and the assurance that one day they will be together in glory and it will be wonderful and in the meantime Lord I do want to present Mandy to you we all do Lord God for healing that you would heal her body Lord that even at this late time you would just sweep in by your spirit and completely heal her body and and just that it would be such a miracle of your glory, Lord God, and a miracle of a witness to those people around her. So Lord, we, we pray for healing. We ask you, Lord God, in your mercy to heal her body and to um, continue in the safeguarding of her soul and of her mind. And, and Lord, we just lift her up to you and ask you to do what only you can do. Father, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for all of the issues and all of the difficulties and all of the stuff of our lives, Lord. You are the healer. You are Jehovah Rapha. You are the only healer. You are the one to whom we come boldly, as you told us, to your throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And, Father, we come. We come because we know. We know that we have so much need of you. And so I pray, Lord God, that you would... um, yeah, that you would pour out your mercy upon us and and that we would know your grace and that we would um, share that grace one with the other, caring for one another, praying for one another, helping each other, Lord God, that we would remember we are family, that we belong to each other and we belong to you. And so, Lord, we offer you this morning as our reasonable service of worship. We want to come before you and bow low and tell you that we love you and that we long to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, okay, you. If, if those of you who've got the books, you did the overview this week. Um, and, uh, and those of you who haven't, the homework did go online. It was a bit late because our website person was on holiday, but it is online. If you want to follow and not do the workbook that you have, just follow online. There are questions every week. Try to answer them, and um, yeah. So Corinth, Corinth, Corinth. According to Greek legend, there was a uh, king of Corinth, and because he defied the gods, the Greek gods, he had to push a huge boulder up a hill. And then when it got to the top of the hill, it rolled back down again, and he had to walk down and lift it up again. And he spent his whole life moving this huge boulder up a hill. And the uh, philosophers of the day uh, thought that that was the typical human life, that we spend our lives lifting a huge boulder up a hill and we get to the top and then it rolls back down again. It was the picture of futility, the futility of the human life. And that's what Albert Camus, has anyone read Albert Camus? He's a French writer. Um, That was his description of that Greek legend, that it was just futility. And he obviously hadn't read uh, Corinthians he hadn't read 1st and 2nd Corinthians because the picture that Paul paints in these two letters is of a life that has meaning and purpose. Um, A life that is hard and difficult and sometimes feels like moving a boulder up a hill but that is really full of purpose and full of meaning. And it is just our coming to the understanding that we are part of the cosmic purpose of God that we are part of a magnificent work of God, plan of God, and that if we could only see our place in it, we would grab hold of that place and live the life that God is um, offering to us. Um, That's what this letter's about, really. Um, it's about the p- plan and the purpose of god. It's about him never leaving us to our own devices. It's about his constant care and guidance. We looked at psalm twenty three last week it's his, about his constant uh looking at us and seeing everything and knowing everything and caring about everything because we are part of this plan and purpose of god and um And his absolute assurance to us that we will, we do, and we will dwell in his sanctuary forever. Do you remember uh, the end of Psalm 23? Uh, Surely uh, surely his loving kindness and goodness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Um, Psalm 23, that wonderful psalm, and that's what 1 Corinthians assures us of, because I think I said last time that for me, the climax of 1 Corinthians is chapter 15. We have a long way to get there. You've got 14 chapters before you get to chapter 15, but in chapter 15, it's like Paul says, this is what Christ has done. This is the resurrection chapter. This is the resurrection life. And all that I've talked about culminates in this, this climax of life. And, um, but, but because it takes us 14 chapters to go there, and because you read this book, hopefully, this or you read this letter this week, you know that the resurrection life is lived amidst grime and mud and mess and stuff. And that's the, that's the conundrum of it. That's the difficulty of it. That's why the Corinthians were struggling in so many different areas. They were struggling to understand how they could live this new life as a new creation in Christ Jesus in the midst of a world that was dragging them into further and further into the mud and into the slime. And how could they live with joy? That was the thing. So what was Corinth like? Did you have to look at anything about what was Corinth like as a city? Okay. Corinth was, um, if you haven't looked at it yet, you probably won't look at it in, um, in the workbook then. So Corinth was the, the major city in Greece. It was the main city. It was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. Um, and uh, it was the most important trade route um, or it was on a very important trade route. So it had lots of visitors, lots of seamen. It was a port, so there was lots of activity on the ships coming in. Land travellers would come through. Um, It was noted for three things, commerce, culture and corruption. It was a very, very corrupt city. Um, Everyone knew what a Corinthian girl was. And the verb, um, to uh, or the, the the word for immorality or fornication or anything else was to Corinthianize. In the language, so everybody knew what a Corinthian girl was. A Corinthian girl was a harlot, and there were lots of them in Corinth. And a Corinthian feast was a an orgy. And those words were in common parlance. It was uh, a city with no morals and a very um, scandalous lifestyle. Okay. And then Paul arrived and preached the gospel and people believed. And so the church began but the church didn't get lifted up into heaven. It didn't get transported to a wonderful spiritual place on the other side of the sea. It had to stay in the same environment and live. People were having to live in the midst of that culture. And that's why I think it's such a fabulous book for us to study because there's where we are. We are in a a culture that is completely, completely immoral and scandalous actually. And at the same time, we've got a double standard in our press and in our... Um, I don't know how to describe it, actually. You've read about the President's Club this time. Um, and so we have a whole section of society all saying, how could that possibly go on? How could they be doing that? What a terrible thing for t- to be happening. And at the same time, we have that same section of society teaching transgender issues to five-year-olds in school. It's, it, it's complete and utter chaos, and nobody knows. Nobody knows what's right and what's wrong. That understanding of right and wrong, good and bad, moral and immoral, has completely gone. Uh, Linda and Alan and I were talking about this um, you know the government there is even in the letter that you said you receive Linda there's that sense of compromise and actually does he even really know that he's compromising he probably doesn't there's compromise on every on every scale and what it is doing is making it harder and harder and harder to live the resurrection life to live that free peaceful joyful life um Paul visited Corinth on his first, uh, sorry, on his second missionary journey. If somebody could go to Acts chapter 18 and read verse 1 to 17, you'll read um, how what happened when he got there. Acts, Acts 18, and read verse 1 to 17. Maybe someone could read half of the verses and then someone else the other half. Acts 18. So what you can see here is Paul's arrival in Corinth. He had to be encouraged by the Lord in a night vision because he was afraid, because there was a lot of opposition. You can see that the Greeks didn't much like his being there, either the Jews or the Gentiles, and there was a lot of kerfuffle. But he actually stayed about 18 months. And um, and and he it, what, during his time there, he obviously made friends with Aquila and Priscilla he stayed with them Aquila and Priscilla stayed with them making tents um, and Silas and Timothy joined him and then they all went on to Ephesus and he left behind the church that he now writes to that's the church that he and if you look at uh, chapter 1 of 1st Corinthians chapter 1 verse 4 to 7 what you see is that the church he left behind was very gifted in um, spiritual things. Look at um, chapter one, verse four to seven. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus. So these are a group of people that he left behind that he's now writing to and they are spiritually gifted. They have everything that they need and he so much so that he thanks God for them. So what Paul has seen in that church is an amazing work of God. He preached the gospel amidst a lot of chaos and, and opposition, so much so that he was frightened and about to go. And the Lord appeared to him and said, I've got many people in this city. And so he stays on, teaches them for 18 months. And in that time, he sees this church just grow out of nothing into a group of people who have every spiritual gift, who are enriched in everything um, and are not lacking, that's what he says in it, so that you are not lacking in any gift. So this is not a group of people that are not believers. This is a group of people who are definitely believers and Paul has seen the work of God in them. So, you know, when we go on to talk about what was wrong with this church, and there's tons of stuff wrong with this church, we have to keep that in our mind. They were believers they were believers and the Holy Spirit had worked in them and given them everything Um, so um, Paul says to them what does he say in verse 8 and 9 who will also confirm you to the end blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Paul was writing to them to assure them that's how he opens I'm writing to you I know God is going to confirm you till the end and that you're going to stand before him blameless so before he, he hits them with everything that he knows about them that's wrong, he wants them to understand, you are not who you were. You are a, a new <coughs> creation. And and I am confident that God will work in you until the end. So what can we take from that? It applies to us. It applies to us. And? Yeah. Yeah. And he give up on us. <coughs> Yes, he doesn't give up on us as we go astray But you're all in the room You're all studying the word of God So you're going to fall and you're going to fail But you're going to pick yourself up and come back next Tuesday And you've all decided, I want to know God through his word So actually, you are part of an elite, unique group of believers Whether you know that or not, you are you are not elite because God has made you elite, but you are separate to most believers because you have decided that what's most important for you is to know God through his word and to grow in that knowledge. You want to be set free by the truth. You, you believe that you will be set free by the truth. You believe that you'll have joy and peace and all of those things as you come to know the truth. You are a unique group of believers. These Corinthians weren't. These Corinthians were not like you. They were not sitting down every day and reading their Bible or at least having that desire to do so. They were not pitching up to a Bible study once a week. They were not doing an hour's homework every day or whatever it was that you did. They weren't doing that. These believers are like the believers in the church in our land who don't know the Bible, who don't do the right things, who don't give themselves to study the word, who don't pray unceasingly, who don't do those things. So what can we know? I mean, we can know these things about ourselves that he will confirm us blameless to the end. Well, that's a given. You've been here long enough to know that. So if you're worried about your salvation, get before the Lord and confess what it is that you're doing that you know is wrong because that is the only reason you would have a doubt about your salvation once you've started to read the Bible. If you read the Bible and if you believe it and if you decide, I want to know God through his word and I'm determined to submit my will to his when I see a difference, then you can be sure. If there's any doubt about your salvation, it has come either from the enemy or because there is an area in your life that you have not submitted. Because the truth is, if you've believed in the Lord Jesus, You will be blameless when you stand before him. You will be complete. You will be finished. In fact, you are already complete in him. Now, just think about that and think about the, the church that he's writing to, the church that he goes on to say what he's heard about them, and think about what do you think then is our place Why? If we are this unique group of Christians, and I'm not trying to make us out to something that we're not, we are blessed because we have been led into the Word of God. But if you have been led into the Word of God, what do you think is your place? Why are you studying Corinthians? Why are you you here, do you think? That you can spread and share what you know. And that you can look with grace and mercy and compassion on those people who believe in the Lord Jesus but have no assurance of salvation because they don't know his word. Who are living in sin because they have never been told that's not right. Because they are part of a church, a a, a nationwide church let's say, that says it's okay To not be married and live together. That says it's okay to be in a homosexual relationship. That says it's okay to commit adultery. That says all of those things are okay. So our role in this is to be able to say with grace, it's not okay to live that way. Because if you live that way, you are never fulfilling the purpose for which God has called you. And you will know no joy and no peace and no blessing throughout this life so um, he's writing to people he knows are believers but he knows they're not living like believers and God told him to write this letter and he told him to begin it with the God who has called you will confirm you to the end And he told him to end it with the resurrection chapter. If you want to tell anybody about the resurrection, if you want to read about the resurrection of Christ, this is the chapter that you read. And he wrote this letter to a group of people who are even sleeping with their father's wives. It's like you can't even imagine it. You can imagine him writing it to us because we're all like really super spiritual doing the right thing. But you can't imagine him writing it to the worst church you can picture in your mind. And that's who he writes it to, so what does that cause us to think about? Yes, our own conduct, and then and then your attitude to people who don't live the way you think they should live, or the way the Bible says they should live, what is your attitude, exactly. But but what you see here is Paul confronts this then, but there's no judgment in it. It's basically, don't you know don't you know this is this is what we're supposed to be doing? Don't you know that? It's almost an incredulous wow, haven't you got that yet? You know, this you're missing out on so much. Well, I don't think that's often our attitude, is it? Is it your attitude? Because Mm, mm, mm. It's just the way of the world now. Mm. You, can't, you can't say to somebody, you know, should be doing this because they don't like it. They don't like being told. No, should. no. But I'm talking about within the church now. I'm not talking about outside. I'm talking about within the church, people who call themselves believers. Um, in fact, we don't have to go with a bludgeon. I'm not saying you do, Julia. I know that you don't. But we can literally just go with, oh, you know, I've just been reading First Corinthians and it's an amazing book because they were in a bad place, these Christians. And they just they were doing stuff that, you know, that just was not good for them. Do you see what I mean? But you have to come at it from an attitude that is not judgmental and an attitude that says, God loves these people and he loves these people as much as he loves me. And can you see what that will do? Think about that. He loves the Corinthian believers who are doing these things as much as he loves you who are not. What does that tell you about your salvation? Yes. And it is not dependent on what you do. Your salvation is not dependent on what you do. It's totally on God's grace. It matters how you live, of course, because you are part of a plan and a purpose of God to show the glory of God and the, and the magnificence of God while you're still here. But your salvation does not depend on your behaviour. I think it's an amazingly liberating understanding. Um, let's move on a little bit. So, um, What's the basis for all of this letter? What What does he base the whole of this letter on? Yes. Um, I mean, he's writing to them to tell them off about some things that they're doing and to answer some questions on doctrine, which they, they've obviously written to him about. Um, but there's something, he, he bases everything on it. All his answers, all his um, correction, all his encouragement, it's all based on what? Yeah, what's it all based on? I said to you that there's a climax in this letter and the climax is what he bases everything on. Love, yes, but what, what, what's First Corinthians 15 about? It's about the resurrection. Everything in this letter is based on the truth that Jesus Christ is resurrected. And because he's resurrected, so are you. And so what he's going to tell them, he's going to tell them off about things that he's doing. He's going to encourage them. But what he wants them to understand is the grace and the power of God that has been proven in the resurrection of Christ. Because if Christ is not resurrected, he says in chapter 15, your faith is in vain. Everything in this letter is based on the fact of Christ's resurrection. And Christ's resurrection promises you your resurrection because you are in him and he is in you so do you see what I mean everything hinges on um, on the resurrection of Christ and the life of that resurrection that is given to those who put their trust in him Um, how does he tell them that they'll come to understand that life hello Michelle How, how does he tell them that they'll come to understand that life and the power of it and the grace of it can you remember from anything you've read? Because you read through the book this week. The cross, yes. But he, he, he's going to talk to them about something. He's going to talk to them about wisdom. And he's going to compare the world's wisdom to God's wisdom. And he's going to say, You cannot understand the power and the grace of the resurrection unless you see it through God's wisdom. And the problem is your wisdom, human wisdom, is the opposite. So you will not understand the power of the resurrection, the grace of the resurrection, the blessing of the resurrection. You will not understand it until you receive the wisdom of God. Look what he says in chapter 2. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however... Sorry, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak wisdom in a mystery The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in In those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, that's a complicated uh, reading. It's a complicated way of saying it. But in essence, what is Paul saying there? You have to have the Spirit, but you've been (coughs) given the Spirit. He's writing to people he knows have been given the Spirit. And, And what's he saying then? Yeah, we can understand, first of all, exactly, and tell others. So we can understand the things of God because we have the Spirit of God. So it is possible for us to have the wisdom of God because the Spirit of God will give us the wisdom of God. I don't mean you'll be God. I just mean you'll be able to understand the things of God that a natural man who doesn't have the Spirit could possibly understand. So why would he be telling them that, do you think? Yes, exactly. So and what he's going to tell them about is a life that it can be lived, a resurrection life in the power and the grace of God, but they will never understand how to do it until they receive the wisdom that only God can give them. How does God give wisdom? Through his word, through his word and through his spirit giving us understanding of it. What does Proverbs say when you look at Proverbs chapter 2? How does it begin? Proverbs 2, I'll read it. Proverbs 2 verse 1. Um, Proverbs 2, verse 1. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the um, knowledge of God. What is wisdom? In its definition, what is wisdom? It's the correct use of knowledge. And what uh, the writer Solomon is saying in Proverbs, what Paul is saying is without wisdom you cannot live the life that God has given you. You cannot live it without wisdom. Now, just think about the Proverbs because God is an unchanging God. So what he said through Solomon, he's going to say through Paul in a different way. In order to understand the wisdom of God, you have to apply yourself to know God. You must know God. And the only way to know God is to apply yourself to search for him like you would search for silver and hidden treasure. To really Make it your business to search for that wisdom. And what, and what he's doing is promising them, eye has not seen, nor mind conceived, what God has in store for us. And he wants to encourage them, go after that wisdom. And know this, that the wisdom of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. The wisdom of God is the opposite to the world's wisdom. Now, if that's true, what must you and I do? We have to completely retrain our mind. Because we will not be able to understand anything about God until we've renewed our mind with the truth of who he is. Asking the Spirit to give us understanding. Now, you see, this is where where it comes to. This is a letter written to a group of believers who have every gift, but who have no wisdom. Because they have not understood or not been bothered To search for God's will, his wisdom, his way of living. And so consequently, they're trying to use the gifts that they know they have and add it to man's wisdom. Do you see what I mean? So they're trying to uh, live the supernatural resurrection life applying the wisdom of man. And it just doesn't work. Because... God's wisdom is not man's wisdom. Do you see what I mean? So it's not that they're not believers. It's that they haven't understood something about the will of God, the wisdom of God, the the knowing God. And what he's writing to, to them is, you have to apply yourself to this. You have to apply yourself to this. All of your human common sense wisdom is foolishness to God. And if you try to apply that to the gift of the spirit, oh my goodness, you're in serious trouble, and you can see it it's clear as a uh, a bell when you read on through First Corinthians and he talks to them about speaking in tongues. you know they have the Holy Spirit, and he is speaking they are speaking in tongues, but there's no wisdom attached to it because they're just launching into it in the church service nobody's understanding a word that they're saying it's not edifying to anybody in fact people outside think they're all nuts where's the wisdom where's the wisdom of God in that so they're taking the gift of the spirit and the wisdom of man putting it together and risk it having chaos do you see what I mean and that's what we're doing that's what the church does it's not that people aren't believers it's not that they haven't received the spirit is that they are applying the foolishness of man, or the foolishness of God, man's wisdom, to the spiritual gift and ending up in chaos and confusion. That's within the church. I'm not talking about outside. And that's today. And that's today. And that was then, and that's why this letter is so wonderful for today. Because it really gives an insight into how we are to walk by the Spirit how we're to live the resurrection life, how we're to be in the purpose of God and how we're to, to not just for ourselves but for outside. So how do you get the wisdom of God? You get with, if wisdom is the correct use of knowledge then you get it by running hard after the knowledge of God. If that is what wisdom is, the correct use of knowledge, then you have to have knowledge first before you can have wisdom. You won't, until you have knowledge, you won't have wisdom. And so then, how are we going to receive the knowledge of God? Study the word. Yeah, study the word, praying. Uh, And what else? Yeah. Yeah. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove the will, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and, per- and perfect. What is the will of God? It is the wisdom of God. 12 verse 1 and 2 Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of, of your mind so that you can prove what is the will of God. The will of God is the is the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God outpoured, his will being worked out. Um what is the will of God then? Yeah? In big terms, what's the will of God? In big terms, if you if you were talking to someone about the will of God, well, how would you describe it? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. That's true. But think about it in kind of bigger terms. What is the will of God? There is the sovereign will of God. When we, when we talk about the will of God, we talk about the sovereign will of God. This world is working out according to the will of God. The sovereign purpose of God is being worked out even now. Right? So everything that happens, God is weaving into or causing to happen or stopping happening, whichever way you look at it, his sovereign purpose is being worked out. And there is coming a day when Christ will return and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. That is going to happen at a time God says, and the world was created at the moment that God spoke it. So there is this sovereign will of God, right? What is another um, will of God? Yeah, there's the revealed will of God. Okay, that's the sovereign will of God. And then there's the revealed will of God. Where do we see the revealed will of God? At the cross and in the Bible. Do not steal, do not cover, do not. So how do we, what, what has God revealed to us about his will? Well, this is how I want you to live. I want you to live on the basis of the cross of Jesus Christ. I want you to live like this. I don't want you to slander. I don't want you to murder. I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this. This is the revealed will of God. Right, so you've got the sovereign will of God that actually is kind of out there and we trust it and we know it's happening, but we don't understand the working of it fully. then we have the revealed will of God which is revealed to us in the word of God and we understand that because he's made it understandable to us right and then what's the third will of God because often the will of God in the revealed will of God doesn't happen do you see what I mean I mean the will of God is that nobody kills another person but murder happens all the time So it's the sovereign will of God, the revealed will of God that doesn't always happen. And then there's another will of God that he's talking to us about and the Corinthians about. What's he talking about in there? No, because that's part of the sovereign plan of God and also the revealed plan of God. So everything hinges on the cross, it does. But don't you think... hmm? Uh maybe we're getting closer to it don't you think that there's another will of God which is almost the automatic living the way he wants us to as we understand and obey the revealed will of God trusting that the sovereign will of God is believable and trustworthy can you see what I mean so it's it's the working of faith actually it's the it's the submission so much of our own will to the will of god that becomes almost automatic to live according to his way so when paul's writing to the corinthians and when he's talking to us what do you think he wants what's he going to concentrate on he wants it to become automatic to us that we automatically live the way that God wants us to live. That is the resurrection life. It is the life where automatically, instinctively, you start to find that you are constantly in the will of God for your life because you are totally submitted to that will. You know the revealed will of God. You are obeying the revealed will of God. And so he's almost taking you deeper now and saying, As you're thinking, as you're feeling, as you're interacting one with another, what will start to happen is that you are automatically in the will of God. Don't you think he says that in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a renew your mind with the revealed will of God, right? The revealed will of God we see in the Bible clearly renew your mind with that revealed will but it doesn't stop there it's that will transform you so that you will come into more and more and more an automatic walking and working in the will of god are you with me yes but in fact you don't even have that it's gone you don't even think of it exactly you just automatically walking in the will of God that is wisdom that is the correct use of knowledge when you are automatically finding that that is happening in your life you are are, even your thoughts and feelings which are coming at you all the time you are able to bat away because you know that's not of God I'm not having that in my head I'm not having that feeling. I'm not having that. I am going to live the resurrection life. See, because if I say to you, "Live the resurrection life," what's your response? I'm doing that already. How? Yeah, I'm doing it. But how do I do that? How do I find that resurrection life? How do I go about it? Is there a rule book? Could I buy the book? You know, that's what we do. We don't understand what the resurrection life is, the power of it and the grace of it. But that's what this is. It's about, okay, we are transformed, transformed into automatically living the will of God, living the resurrection life. And it is powerful and full of grace. That's what he wants us, you know, and and it's amazing to me That is straightforward. It's just straightforward. Do not be conformed, he says, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what he means is be transformed into the creation, the new creation that you already are. Be transformed on the inside to match the outside. I've got a diagram. If anyone wants to look at it... um, later on I'm going to try and explain it as we go along and I wanted to do it in different colors but I didn't have time I'm sorry so I will do it in different colors maybe stick it on the wall maybe make it bigger Um, see the word transformed I know that you've heard me say this before in the uh, original language in the Greek it is the word for uh, transfigured so transformed it's it's used in the Mount of Transfiguration Now, when Christ was transfigured on the mountain in front of his disciples, that wasn't just an external transfiguration. It was internal. He was totally different. He emanated light. It came from his inner being. He was completely transfigured before them. So when Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, he means the inside of you will be completely different and that will start to push its way out of you so that not only on the external will you look different but on the internal you will be different i'll talk about that in a minute so think about it um because <coughs> transformation this transformation is not about switching a to-do list you know it's like Okay, I used, to, I used to run around and get drunk and smoke and take drugs. So those are the things I used to do. But now I run around and I do holy things. I mean, I go to church and I sing in the choir and I'm really nice to my next door neighbor. That's just exchanging a to-do list. I used to do this and now I do this. That's not transformation. That's just external Exactly. But what he's saying, the transformation has to come first. And a lot of people think that being a Christian is the external change of to-do lists. Well, no, it's because we don't understand, Suzanne. A lot of Christians don't understand. And that's this Christian. He doesn't want, in the Corinthian church, he doesn't want them just to switch a list of do's and don'ts. He wants them to understand that in order to to have the wisdom of God and to live the resurrection life, there has to be a complete transfiguration that goes on inside of you and that pushes itself out to the outside. Yeah. Exactly. 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 They could change their outward behavior but it would make no difference to the inside. Now, you know believers like that. You know believers who have changed their outside behavior, but inside, their heart is full of sin. Because nothing has been transformed. There you have it. Only Only God can do that. Exactly. That's it. It's like working with him by the it, is. it is. It is. It is. It is. See, when in, in Galatians, when Paul says the works of the law are this, this, this and this, he then says, and the fruit of the Spirit is this. He uses two different words. He doesn't say the works of the Spirit are this he says the fruit of the spirit because fruit is something that only grows from something you can't do it go ahead Suzanne. But how, how can you do things differently on the outside how do you want to do Yeah the outside hasn't no y- 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 how do you want to because when when i show you my diagram i'll show you just hold on a second till we get there well but there's lots of people doing that there's lots of people who have believed in Jesus. They go to church every week. They outwardly try to be good people. But inside, there has been no real submission to the Lord Jesus. They are still on the throne of their life. They want what they want, and they will have what they want. And that just happens to have changed to now. It used to be to, to they didn't even think about it. But now they're going to church. They want to be seen as a spiritual, holy person. They want to be seen as a good person. They want all of that but it's not coming from any change inside of them. And they may not necessarily have the Spirit, or they may, but they just haven't understood how that transformation works. Exactly, exactly. There are a lot of people pleasers in the church. And actually, we all have it. Don't kid yourself, you don't have that in you, because you do. I have it in me. exactly but we still even though we accept it we still struggle with it because that under that has to come from god doing something radical in us and and that's a life work and it's human yes exactly and submission well. exactly submission that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about the inside of us has to be transformed I and be we they to- that's it And it's also why a lot of believers don't go any further than the first step because they don't want to to submit their will. Um, Let's move on just a little bit. Um, I just want us to be really clear because we judge on externals. We always judge on externals and I'm talking about in the church now, not outside. We judge on externals and that is completely wrong because yes, we are to say that certain behaviors are not right, not acceptable. That's true. But they are not acceptable mostly because they are a bad witness about Jesus. And they are not acceptable mostly because they show me that you don't understand the reality of who God is and what he has done for you. And that is a sadness and a tragedy for you. So it changes your thinking you know it's not important that everybody runs around dressed like you speaking like you doing like you that's not important it's important that inside God is working his transformation and that transformation will take a lifetime it will take a lifetime exactly yeah exactly exactly and how we can help, exactly, exactly, how we can help them move one step closer to the, the blessing of transformation, of transfiguration. Who doesn't want that transfiguration to be happening? Some mm. people, a bit else? I anyway. And that's because they're they're not renewing their mind and they're not willing to submit themselves to the will of God because essentially they don't believe that what he's offering them will be better than having too much to drink and getting up late in the morning. This is where it comes down to. It comes down to really how well do you know God because if you really know him for who he is, there's nothing in your life that you would hold on to. Nothing. You would let go of everything so you can grab hold of him. Yes, in Philippians, yeah. Mm. So the Christian alternative to um, immoral behaviors is not a new list of morals. It isn't. It's not a don't do this and don't do that and do this and do that. The Christian alternative is... Your innermost being, your personality, your mind, your soul, the, the you that is you being transformed into the image of Jesus. That's what it is. And and you know, you can go along for quite a long time thinking, I know God's doing a lot of transforming work in me. And then suddenly up you'll come against something and you'll see it for what it is and it will make you so ashamed. You just will want rid of it because you won't be able to bear the thought that it is blocking your growth in your transformation. Um, And actually, when that's happening and you're walking in this sort of more and more automatic, what do you think is going to be your prevailing state of being? You're, You're voluntarily submitting yourself to the Lord. You thought it was slavery, but it ends up being... Freedom, it ends up being freedom. You thought that you were just going to be enslaved to God and actually the Bible talks about us being enslaved to righteousness but it doesn't feel like slavery, it feels like freedom because you and I were created for that freedom. Yes. Yes. Yes, you want more and more and more. So when you're transformed in Christ, what will start to happen? When you start to be more and more transformed in Christ, more and more transformed to be like Christ, I'll tell you because there's a hundred things, but what I've got on my page is you will love to do what you're supposed to do. You will just love to do it. It will be the most important thing in your life to do because you will love it so much. That's what will happen when you're transformed. So ask yourself the question, do you love to do what you ought to do? <laughs> no. So then there's that transformation. That's that's And that's what God's showing us, Kim. That's what he's showing us. That when you are transformed, you love to do what he wants you to do. It becomes... And that's freedom. That's freedom. When you love to do what you ought to do. That's real freedom. Yes, exactly. Exactly. I know. It's the complete opposite. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So the questions we should be asking ourselves is, do I long to be transformed from the inside out? Do I really long to be transformed? Well, you 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 want to be transformed Barbara because you're already a little bit transformed if you know what I mean. You know the Lord. Yes. So so if you if you have that desire in you and you obviously do from that statement then you are being transformed, transfigured and light is shining from you. Do you long to be free from all the I should do this and I should do that. The duty. If you want to be free from the duty of Christianity or good living or whatever, you need transforming or you are being transformed. Go after God. And if you long to offer up every part of your life, your body, as a living sacrifice, then you need to go after God. You need to go after him. my mind to Yeah. The That's easier it is. Exactly. Prayer. Exactly. And exactly. Yeah. for me is I was really, really yeah. with it, but mm. Kate said to me, ask the Holy mm. and now, before every time, before I read word, Yeah, you I ask the Lord. Let me have that It is It is. It um, is. Actually, after the break, we'll talk about that. Paul talks about the spirit of the mind. So our mind is not just a computer, it has a will. Yes. And uh that's really what led me into this diagram. Um if you if you want to take a look, I you know I'm I am going to put it on the wall because I'm really quite pleased with it. When it's painted up, it will look quite nice. Um I didn't come up with it myself, I stole various bits of it. it yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um I did, yeah, I, I, yeah. it's not me. I had to steal it from everybody else, but you know, I was quite pleased in the way I put it together. So um, if you think about yourself, you are body, soul, and spirit, right? This happened, actually. I went on this little trek because a, a, a lady who comes in the evening, uh, she said to me about body, soul, and spirit, and I thought, oh, yes, that's what I'm trying to say. But I hadn't figured out that I was trying to say it, so anyway... If you imagine you're three in one, you are a three in one person because you have a three in one God. <sighs> that blows your mind, doesn't it? You are body, soul and spirit. In the center of you is the spirit, which was dead before the spirit of God came in because in uh, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned and that part of them died. The spiritual part of them died. And so in the center of your being is, if you like, the spirit of man, which is dead until the spirit of God comes in. The next circle is your soul, what you call your soul. And it, that is made up of um, your... Uh, mm, oh, well, actually, come back a bit to the spirit of man. What the spirit um, is affected by is faith and worship and prayer and reverence and um, hope. And all of those things are given to you when you receive the Spirit of God. Then you've got your soul. That's affected by your memory. It's affected by your reason. It's affected by your affections, what you love and what you like. It's affected by your imagination. That's your soul. It's your personality. It's who you are in your essence is your soul. And then the outside of you is your body. What's your body affected by? the five senses, touch, smell uh, whatever the other one, sight hearing, so you have this three in one person when you receive the Holy Spirit he comes and gives life to your spirit right now, when you worship you're going to start to worship him and you're going to start to reverence God because he's brought your spirit to life and he's, he's living there in your, you know, with you in the centre of your being. But your soul is still going on. Your body, the touch, taste, feel, seeing, hearing, is decaying and will one day be totally corrupt and gone. But your soul, who you are, is going to continue forever. And it is that that needs transforming. And it is that that God is working on right now. So the spirit of you, if you have the spirit of God, is totally and utterly resurrected and saved and glorious even now. The body of you is dying, but you're going to get a new one. But the soul of you, the soul of you is who you are.
1: No. Yeah,
0: who you are continues. So why then? Think about it. It's reason and it's imagination and it's uh, your personality. All of that in your personality. That's what makes up who you are. That's what I'm saying. So if God wants to change you from the inside out, the spirit has to work from the inside and he can because you've received the spirit of God. And he has to work from the outside by putting into your soul different things. And what Paul says is, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind which could be soul, be, remo- be transformed by the renewing of who you are. And the mind is the door to who you are. You're saying you find it difficult to, um, what did you say? Yes, to give your mind. And actually you find that difficult because your mind doesn't want to be given over because your soul doesn't want to be given over because our personalities have got us on the throne. We want to be on the throne. I mean, oh my goodness, I should be on the throne. I know myself better than anybody, don't I? I know what I want and what I don't want. I'm right and and you're all wrong. We want that. We want that. So we feed our soul. We feed it with our imaginations and our, what we watch and what we read and what we think about. We're feeding our soul all the time. And so is the world. The world is feeding our soul all the time. Is it wrong for us as Christians to use our imagination? No, no. No. God gave you your imagination. All of this is God-given. He gave you your personality, he gave you your reason, he gave you imagination, he gave you all of that. But you said, thanks very much, I'm sitting on the throne of all this kingdom. And he's, of course, not you personally, Julia, all of us. Humanity said, thank you for this personality and this soul and this reason and this mind, which is super intelligent. I'm going to build a tower up to the heavens. I'm going to be like God. So that, that has to be transformed. That has to be changed, renewed, made new. Yeah. Sorry, Maureen, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Where does the heart come in? Isn't mm. the pain, because we were told that the heart comes Well, that is. Heart is part of your soul. It's, and in fact, some of these words are interchangeable. Out of your soul comes all the bad things. Out of your heart. So, so the out of who you are comes the bad things that you say and do and and how you do it. Now, I'm sure there's all sorts of different ways to draw this and all sorts of different ways to explain it. But we are born again in our spirit because we've received the spirit of God. We are going to get a new body when we go to be with him or he comes for us, you know what I mean, at the resurrection of our bodies. But this thing, the soul, that is affected by our imagination, by our thinking, by our feelings, by our emotions, that soul of us needs transforming. And that is the work. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you to will and to act that soul needs to be submitted to god you need to submit your mind you need to submit your imagination you need to submit your feelings you need to submit your heart you need to submit all of it because your soul has its own will because it is used to its own way and if you don't and that that transformation is why we're still here one of the reasons That as God is transforming us from the inside out and from the outside in, we are witnessing to the fact that something bigger than us is happening. That there's something fantastic going on. Go ahead, Suzanne. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, mind, heart, soul, I think they're all interchangeable in different places. Anyway, we're going to take a break because I need coffee. coffee. Uh, from the duty, from the should, <coughs> I should be doing this and I should be doing that. From the duty of... Father, thank you that um, you will unravel all of this. Thank you, Lord, that it's hard. It's hard to understand and hard to see how it all works because we've been used to thinking about things with our words and our way of understanding. And it may not exactly match this Lord God and I may not have it exactly right thank you Lord thank you that for that understanding that we none of us have everything exactly right so I praise you Lord and ask you to by your spirit to give us the wisdom that we need to sift through all of the information and to see the truth that is shining in the centre of it and I ask Lord God that you would show me as I'm the one standing and speaking you would show me anything that is slightly wrong and so that I would have the opportunity to change it or to modify it Lord God and I praise you because there's such freedom in that Lord I thank you so we ask Lord I ask on behalf of all of us in the room that you will so fill us with your truth and your grace that we will hang on to freedom Lord God and want it with every part of our being And know that that freedom only comes as we submit ourselves to you. So I praise you, Lord, and thank you for what you will do in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 1, in fact, we're going to look at it in just a minute. Romans 1 from verse 18 on says that man suppressed the truth of God in unrighteousness they didn't want the truth of God and therefore they went their own way and then for the whole of the second half of chapter 1 of Romans it talks about what has come about because man suppressed the truth in unrighteousness um, and what has come about is all of the depravity and immorality and evil and wickedness of man and what he saw in the, in the concentration camps was the man's inhumanity to man It was how, it was the evil of man's heart expressed in action. That's what he saw in the concentration camps. The fact that there is no end to the evil of man. That he will do anything uh, and does do anything. But that's not God. That's not God. That's what man does without God. And so that's why we need God. because, Because mankind is despicable and evil yeah so that's all I would say Alan is that this world is not the way God wants it to be because mankind is not the way God made us to be and until we submit our soul to him Until we accept that we have gone so far from him and we need a saviour to take us back, until that happens, we're going to see this over and over and over again. It's not just World War II. It's Cambodia, it's Laos, it's Thailand, it's Russia, it's China. It's everywhere you look in our world, There there is evil and wickedness in the slave, slavery, modern slavery in the human trafficking that's going on in, in the sex industry in, it's just despicable and it's the, it's, the, it's the evidence of man's wickedness and really that's why we need God not why we should say where is God but that's why we need God so yeah It is, but he's only able to use them because they have suppressed the truth. I mean, I I know what you're saying, um, but we can't put down all the wickedness and evil in the world to Satan because it doesn't doesn't sit at his door. It sits at our door because we have willingly, that's what Romans 1 says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, for that, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. So there is, God holds man accountable, not Satan. He holds man accountable for their sin. So yes, they're the hostages of Satan, but each one of us will stand before God and, and each unbeliever will stand before God and have to make account for what they've done. Yeah. Because that's what it says in Romans, God made Himself evident within them. Um uh, yeah. I find it a lot people say you believe that God is sovereign. Yeah. So everything that happens is allowing to happen. Yeah. and I know that if he's allowed it to happen Mm -hmm. it's because they believe that there's always got to be a happy ending no matter how bad we are so people believe in their minds that if God, if God is good then nothing bad could possibly happen because for them God being good and man being responsible just can't go together So um, what would they want to happen? See, that's what I do with people. I say to them, okay, so what would you want God to do? What would would your God do with this world? And what they end up doing is personalising everything because they're coming from their own viewpoint. So they'd say, well, I want him to um, stop the war over here. Um, well, so what about the war over there? And, and what about the fact that there are two opinions? And what about this religion and that religion and that religion that say kill each other and blah, blah, blah? What would you do about that? And so it, once you really think about it, you either have a planet of robots where God just comes in or you have man's free will. And as soon as you have man's free will, you have a problem because man chooses evil yeah that's what we we're just saying Yeah. so as soon as you have free will you have evil now you either remove free will and say God's going to make everything happen or you have free will and God is sovereign and is working things out and has reached into this cauldron of evil and wickedness and given us a saviour who has actually come into this cauldron and lived in this mess in order to pull us out it's hard though it's hard jenny isn't it it's hard i don't know whether or not uh, cyril regis border, yeah was he a christian? i don't actually know i don't know i haven't read too much about him it sounds like he might have been because i think i read something about him being a christian cyril regis he was a footballer he was yeah, alan says he's a luton supporter so yeah yeah. You see that show today as an example because he suffered. And well, he was black and he was a footballer and he was a of shots on And they made But he was such a wonderful example of this wonderful leadership he showed. Mm-hmm. To Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're back into um, into 1 Corinthians, although we haven't spent any time there. We're not going to spend too much time in 1 Corinthians. Um, it's just this understanding of what is going on and how we are to live the resurrection life with that understanding. Um, in chapter 4 of Ephesians, uh, verse 4, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 23, there's a sort of parallel phrase to Romans 12, 1 and 2, and where Paul says, Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And so what he's saying is, your mind is not just a computer, a sophisticated computer, it actually has a mindset, it has a viewpoint, it has a, a you know an attitude. So that's why I'm saying that your mind is your soul in a lot of these things. It's an interchangeable thing for verse 23. Um, uh, and so actually that answers, uh, when you think about it, if your mind is synonymous with your soul, or even if you don't want to do that, if you want to say your mind is your mind, you have to accept that your mind has a mindset. It has a viewpoint. It has an attitude. It's not just a computer with information. You You make... Uh, uh, what do you call it conclusions you take conclusions from the information in your mind and that is your attitude or your mindset or your viewpoint and so when you think about it it's not a lack of education or information that makes people what they are it's their attitude that makes people what they are because it's their attitude that determines what they do with the information that comes into their mind so, when you know that, you understand what Paul means in Romans chapter 1, um, verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. To a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. And so he's going to go on. Because mankind refuses to acknowledge God, God is allowing, gives them over to what they want. And that's what they want. All the way through, as I said to Alan just now, down through the second half of Romans chapter 1, you get the opposite of, in in Romans chapter one sixteen 16 and 17, you, you read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation, for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, Gentile for in it the righteousness of God is revealed, uh, just as it is written. Uh, No, is that it? And a mantra from faith to faith. But then straight away in verse 18, he says, For the wrath of God is being poured out. And the wrath of God is involved in this understanding that if you refuse to acknowledge God, he will give you over to all of your own attitudes and passions and mindset. Um, Now think about it. Think about it. He's describing a very wicked society. What he's talking about in Romans 1 is... um Professing to be wise, they became foolish and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonoured among them. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned and the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error and then on and on to the end of the chapter he will start to talk about uh, all the different ways and means of evil and he, all of it is because they refuse to acknowledge that God is God. Right from verse 18 all the way down, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They worship the creature and not the creator. They will not acknowledge God. Now think about my little diagram. Your soul is receiving information your mind is receiving information. You have your own feelings, you have your own memories, you have your own everything going on in your soul, you have your own personality, you have the genetic bent of your personality, all of that going on. And what God is saying to you in there is, will you acknowledge me as God? Because if you don't acknowledge me as God, you are worshiping the creature rather than the creator. Because actually, the image that you're worshiping looks just like you. That's the thing. If you don't worship God, you worship yourself. You may uh, have little idols that you, you know, have in the form of animals or birds, or which you can go overseas and see that. You may, but essentially, you are deciding, "I will do what I want to do with what I have." Why is it, do you think, that uh, – I mean, we live in a – we have lived in a society in our lifetime, at least, those of us who were born this side of the World War II, um, we've, we've lived a long time without having to see too much of the evil – in the world because we've lived in a place that has been easy in some ways. We've had the National Health Service, we've had education, we've had this, we've had that, we've had the other thing. And so we've come on and we've been allowed to be deceived into thinking that we're good people. But you see what God's doing now. He's pulling back the veil on the reality of the human condition. And he is showing us in our society and in our world and in this country the evil that exists underneath it. And that evil comes from a heart that is not a soul, a mind, whatever you want to say, that is not submitted to God. Um, that's who you are by nature. That's who you are by personality. That's who your soul is. You are a person who worships yourself. That's who you are. You are a person who wants to be God. In your own life. Adam and Eve, exactly that. Satan comes, for, he, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. And all of us say, yes, I want to be like God. That's who um, we are. That means that our nature, that our soul, worships the wrong thing by nature, by natural affinity. We worship wrong thing. So what do you think has got to happen now that we have the Spirit of God within us? We have to change our attitude. We have to change our mind. We have to change our mindset. We have to change everything about us. We We have to decide between emotions. We have to decide whether this is right thinking or that is right thinking, whether it's right to feel like this about another person or whether I shouldn't. We have to make choice upon choice upon choice upon choice. What chance do you think you would have if God left you to your own devices to do that? You're just, exactly, exactly. And so that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, that God works from the inside out and from the outside in. And all he asks of us is that you let him work. That you say, you're God and I'm not and I will change my mind about all the things that you tell me to change my mind about. And I will not feel about another person in a way that is not what you want me to feel. And I will not let these words come out of my mouth because you don't like them. Do you see what I mean? Now that takes the work of the Spirit inside and outside. So how does the the Spirit work from the outside? Yes, it is. It is. It's exactly right. He'll bring other people around us to help us, like minded. How would we become like minded? That's true, Barbara, but how have we become like minded? We've become like minded because we have picked up a Bible at some stage and God has said, you know, silently to us, this is a good read. And we've read it and we've found something in there that we know God has said. And then we've got together with other people who have found that same thing. And we've become a part of a group of people who love the Word of God. And how did that happen? How did that happen? It just did. It happened because God made sure you had a Bible. He made sure you sat next to someone, you had a sister, whatever, that loved the Word of God. He made sure that uh, that you had friends who would give you a ride to wherever it was. And then he worked in you and he said, this is good, do this. And you started to hear his voice. And so you continued. That was you. Yeah, it was you doing what God wanted you to do. But he wanted you to want to do it. And so he he did whatever it took to get you into it. Do you know, I used to, when I lived in Tokyo, when I was first a believer, um, I used to ride a bicycle, fully made up, (laughs) dressed, (laughs) I mean, I was just like, because that's what the Japanese women do. They're so, you know, the Japanese women, let me tell you, they're pretty well-dressed and and well-turned-out, you know. And so I had my hats and I had my scarves and my long skirts and everything else, and I would pedal along the road on my bike to go to where my church was where I'd become a Christian to do Bible study. Now, that took me 40 minutes, and the last section of it was up a hill like that. I did that bike ride. Why? Because I wanted to know what God was going to tell me I didn't know that I was doing it for that reason I thought I was doing it for the exercise and because that was my church and because that's where my friends told me to go come we'll do this together so every single thing was working to get me to do what God wanted me to do and that was God it was all God but do you see what I mean about work out your salvation with fear and trembling do what you know to do Dig out, you know, I love that picture of it that um, I read somewhere a long time ago. That, that And when you look at the verb tense, you can see it, the verbs in the Greek. Working out your salvation is like you've been given a diamond mine. And it is chock-a-block full of diamonds. And it belongs to you. And God's saying, get down that mine and dig out of it as much as you can. And what he's expecting you to say is, You don't have to tell me twice. (laughs) I want those diamonds. You've given me a diamond mine. I'm going to be fabulously wealthy. I'm going down there every day. You would do that if you thought of it that way. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Spend every day getting down that mine, the mine of your salvation, and dig out of it whatever you can get. Why? Because God is at work in you. He's at work in you to do, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Amazing. It's amazing. He's working from the inside out and from the outside in. So, can you see how Paul might say, one day you're going to stand before God blameless, complete. You're going to be finished. Is that going to happen in this life? No, it's not. It's not going to happen in this life. You're not going to be finished and complete in this life. Why not? Because your soul needs a lot of fixing. Because it has been the way it is for a long time. And because the heart is deceitful above all else. And desperately wicked. Yeah. And because all of the time that the Holy Spirit is doing that from the inside out and the outside in, the world is trying to conform you to its thinking. Now what is your heart? What is your heart? Tell me what your heart is. The heart is my, my Your will. For mm-hmm. me, I, I, I think I've given my heart to the Holy Spirit. You have? He's all yeah, the and he lives in the center of you. And he's influencing that will. You just said it. Yeah. But what's happening is he's training you to see parts of it. You have given him your will. He's on the throne in your life. He lives in you. But there's this constant continuing because you're not where he wants you to be. Yeah. And you're not I where know, you I want to be. Know. Exactly, I know, because we talk. So yes. y- you and I, we're not where we want to be, but we're so further along than we were. That's the thing. Yeah. So you've given him your heart, which is why he's working. That's it. But, but it is a lifetime's work because you'll come up against things you didn't even know were there. Yes. You know, that's the trouble. You keep being shown stuff you didn't know was there. And suddenly it's like, oh, oh, that's what I look like, really. Exactly. It's not nice. And you, and you, and you see it. But, but the wonderful thing is that when you see that, you know God's only let you see that because that's about to go. There you go. But the thing is, he's showing you specific things because you're ready to deal with them that's the thing about God he's not going to show you something about yourself that you're not ready to deal with with his work, obviously his strength because otherwise that would just bring you down exactly God is only going to give you knowledge of a sin or a thing in your life that needs to be changed or needs to be rid of because you and he are ready to deal with it then I love that about God I love it because it's just so liberating to know that when I see the thing that just makes me, you know, I thought that was gone. Oh, no, there it is again. When I see that, I know that it's ready to be done. So um, he's working from the outside in and from the inside out. He's enabling us, Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, and we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror um, the glory of the Lord are being transformed From glory to glory as in the Lord. The Holy Spirit who's working within you enables you to see the glory of the Lord. He enables, he's opening your eyes to the glory of God. The eyes of your soul, the eyes of your personality to see the glory of God. And because he's doing that, he's transforming you. He's putting truth in from the outside. You're reading the word of God, you're praying with other Christians, you're, you're um, learning more and more of the truth of Jesus and the truth of God, and, and all of that is going on. And as he's doing that, what do you think is happening to your soul? It's being renewed, yes, but also it's being broken. It's being broken. Because when you see yourself as you really are it breaks your heart. I mean it doesn't literally break your heart but it breaks something inside of you because you've gone on for such a long time thinking you were one thing and actually God is showing you now that you're not that thing and it breaks you. And that's good because you need to come to that point so that he can restore. So yes, he is transforming us into the image of Christ but that transformation takes a lot of breaking so why do you think it's important to to know this and understand it yeah yeah strength when things happen and you think it's not easy yeah there you go yeah Exactly, and and the understanding that the brokenness is not breaking you in half, it's chipping off the bits. Yeah, it's like it's yeah exactly, exactly, the yeah, 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 and you've obviously got far more rough bits than me. I think we'll have to work on that one. Definitely we will, definitely the Lord will work on that one. OK, so when you know that this is happening, when you know that God's working from the inside out, and from the outside in and he's doing everything in your life to bring you to a greater knowledge of him so that he can transform you so that you can actually live with the wisdom of God in your life so that you can understand the will of God and live in the will of God. What is that going to result in, in you? What are you going to want to do? Loving more. You're going to want to do more and more and more and more and more, aren't you? You're going to want to just go on faster and faster. I want more and more and more. You know, let's get rid of this thing, Lord, because it's just getting in the way. I want to spend more time here. I'm not talking about Bible study. I'm talking about just more time, learning more about who you are, living for you, understanding, you know, having that wisdom to live the way you want me to live, to say what you want me to say, to think what you want me to think. You're just going to grab that because it's going to be so wonderful to you mm. 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 I do mm. but this space gives me more more perspective of what's going on in my life. Mm. Yeah. And that the one important thing a is to draw close to you know, you can you can love what is good, but here's the black. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I just, I've had that again. Mm. this is just pressing for Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in almost daily attendance. Yeah. The mm. have stopped, mm. work mm. And at first I was not quite generous, Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And I, mm. but it, it I was know. Yes. At that yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great example, Linda. Yeah, no, it's a good example. It is a good example. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still working. So, um so knowing this then, knowing he's working from the outside in and from the inside out, um, what are you going to do actually? Because we're doers, not, not yeah? We're going to change your attitude. How are you going to change your attitude? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to pray. You're going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to just keep on keeping on. Mm-hmm. Keep on keeping on. And, and that's going to be the focus of your prayers, actually. It's going to be less about things and more about you take over, Lord. More about okay, so where where do we go from here? What happens next how can i how can I best deal with this situation that will glorify you? How can I be and And what happens is what Linda has just explained really well is that starts to happen in all of those various areas that's what starts to happen. And it's not that you love them less, you love them exactly the same. But you understand that that's not where God wants you to be at this moment. Yes, it's true. It's true. But it, it's this, yeah, it's this understanding that if I pray and go after the truth of God, then there's going to be a transformation within me. And I'm going to be more involved in the plan and the purpose of God for my life and I'm going to be aware of it a lot more and I'm going to start to live the resurrection life. That's what it is. The resurrection life is a life that is totally surrendered and submitted to the Lord. But it is understanding that you will never be perfect until you see him face to face. You won't reach perfection in the body you're in. You just won't. Because the body that you're in is corrupting and is trying to take you with it. And this enemy that is still prowling around like a roaring lion is trying to take you with it. And the world, the world is seeking to conform you to its mold. You will never, ever be rid of those three enemies until you are with the Lord Jesus. But what God is doing is showing you how to fight and how to live strong in the midst. Of that and that's what the Corinthians needed they were in an evil and wicked society and they needed to know how to live in the midst of it how to live with joy and with peace and with strength and with grace and with truth and how to live for God in the midst of that and that's what we need isn't it we need to know how to live for God in the midst of the mess that we live in Um. And there's all sorts of different ways. I'm sure if we went round, we could think of different ways. Read autobiographies, biographies of, of saints that have gone before us, people who have surrendered their lives to God. Get together with other believers. That's what you were saying, Barbara. Be Encouraging one another. There's so many different ways. And in all of it, pray, 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 pray that the Lord will have his way. And understand that your soul does not want God on the throne your soul does not want God your, human, your humanity doesn't want God on the throne of your life and so that will be a battle it will be a battle flesh against spirit Paul describes it as in Romans it is a battle and um, one that you will you do have victory over but you won't always feel like you do there's a poem I want to end with it's um, it's uh, written by a woman called Kate Wilkinson and it's quite an old poem, May the Mind of Christ My Savior it's called and it's um it, yeah, it's so May the mind of Christ my savior live in me from day to day by his love and power controlling all I do and say. May the wor- word of God dwell richly in my heart from hour to hour so that all may see I triumph only through his power. May the peace of God my Father rule my life in everything that I may be calm to comfort sick and sorrowing. May the love of Jesus fill me as the waters fill the sea, him exalting, self-abasing, this is victory. May I run the race before me, strong and brave to face the foe, looking only unto Jesus as I onward go. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. I could um, give you a copy of that if you would like it. It's, yes, on Google. Kate Wilkinson. Kate B. Wilkinson. And it's called May the Mind of Christ My Saviour. Is it a hymn? Yeah. Oh, there you go. See what I see how much I don't know. <laughs> Do you? Wow, yeah. oh, there you go. So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, or the first overview, and uh, you've got some homework in your books to do before, not next week, the week after. You've got two weeks to do one week's homework, if you've got the book. There's, there, there will be some homework online. It's not there yet, but there will be some homework online. And um, so by the time we meet again, you will have looked at, in detail, chapter 1. And um, so... So Father, thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you that you are explaining things to us in ways that we can understand thank you father that you will go on to take the truths of your word and make them real to us and help and you will give us understanding of them for you want us to know you thank you lord that you are transforming us from glory to glory and though we may not see it in our everyday we trust it because we know that you are unchanging faithful god So Lord, I pray as that uh, song goes, that hymn goes, I pray for that in my own life. I pray for that in the lives of everyone here that we would truly uh, surrender ourselves to you for your glory, Lord God, but because we know that that is the absolute best for us. I thank you, Father, that, that you have worked it out that way, that your glory results in my joy. So, Lord, we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.